We're sitting around the table eating Cheerios. My wife sipping tea, Mika playing with her spoon, me suggesting apple picking over the weekend, when Yang slams his head into his cereal bowl. It's a sudden mechanical movement, and it splashes cereal and milk all over the table. Yang rises, looking as though nothing odd just occurred, and then he slams his face into his bowl again. Mika thinks this is hysterical. She starts mimicking Yang, bending over to dunk her own face in the milk. Kira is pulling her away from the table and whisking her out of the kitchen so I can take care of Yang. At times like these, I'm not the most clear-headed. I stand in my kitchen, my chair knocked over behind me at a total loss. Shut him down, call the company, shut him down, call the company. By now the bowl is empty, milk dripping off the table, Cheerios all over the goddamn place, and Yang has a red ring on his forehead from where his face has been striking the bowl. A bit of skin is pulled away from his skull over his left eyelid. I decide I need to shut him down. The company can walk me through the reboot. I get behind Yang and untuck his shirt from his pants and he jerks forward. Then I push the release button. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast. A safe place for folks who like the movie more than the novel. We are recording this on Saturday, March 12th, 2022. Today we are discussing the adaptation after Yang. With me to talk about the adaptation is the techno sapien, clone enthusiast, and Michigan made, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people E. Hello, people. I'll leave you with, I'll start you with this rap lyric, Will, which is uh, we've been through episodes to like Attack of the Clones. That's oh. Mos Def. That's a Star Wars reference, clone <laughs> reference. Welcome to After Yang. Welcome to After Yang. Welcome to the clone, the clone Wars, essentially. Welcome to the Clone Wars. <laughs> I've had my coffee. I've had my tea. I've had all my liquids. We are ready to. We're ready to roll. We are ready to roll. Um, so, some fast facts. The book is a collection of short stories called Children of the New World. The short story is called Saying Goodbye to Yang. It's about twenty-three pages or so. Uh, written by Alexander Weinstein, originally published in 2016. The movie premiered at Sundance in July 2021, where it won the Alfred P. Alfred P. Sloan Prize at Sundance, which is the prize given to a feature film that focuses on science or technology as a theme, or depicts a scientist, engineer, or a mathematician as a major character. Uh, released on streaming on Showtime uh, and in theaters March 4th, 2022. But we, as you know, Little Lens and people of the media, got an advanced screening uh march 2nd so not to boast but that's what happened so yeah we will accept free stuff if if, if given so yeah i don't know why i haven't been given yet if you're listening just know that yeah send it to us uh written and directed by coco nada who also written wrote and directed a film called columbus the film stars colin farrell jody turner smith justin min malia emma john draw i think that's right Sarita Chowdhury and Haley Lou Richardson, Rotten Tomatoes, 88%, Metacritic, 79%. Pretty good. Yeah. 88 feels low. We both really like this. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But, uh, you know, I feel like the um, the soft sci-fis like this, the A24 joints, usually usually are 90 plus, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Feel, it feels, I don't know. It feels a little bit low, but it, it feels about right. It feels good. 88 is good. Yeah. 88, 88 is good. Is good. Um, can you give us a quick recap? Yeah. Um, the short story saying goodbye to Yang tells the story of a man and wife who adopt a Chinese daughter. 
worried about the culture clash that exists between these white parents and their Chinese uh, daughter, they purchase a robot named Yang, who acts as a Chinese culture expert and babysitter. One day, Yang unfortunately breaks, and the father tries to get him repaired while coming to terms with Yang's place in their family and, crucially will, what it means to be human. Themes of life, family, classicism, and whether or not what's on a bumper sticker um, connects to your personality feature prominently. Yes, they do. That is after Yang. Um, yeah, short, short, short story, relatively, mm-hmm. um, but full of little juicy bits of um, writing and thematic uh, weirdness that we're going to get into. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot going on even in the 20 short pages that it's written in. Um, but before before we get into the book, we have a quick game we always play here called Two Truths, One Lie. Everybody knows how to play. Eric is on a bit of a losing streak, but I'm feeling like today he's going to turn it all around. Eric. Clearly, you... I don't know how to play because I always lose. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, before becoming a filmmaker... Kogonada was a video essayist focusing on the aesthetics and recurring themes of particular filmmakers. Number two, through a mutual friend, Jody Turner-Smith was introduced to P. Diddy and told him of her aspirations as a writer. Instead, he convinced her to become a model and move to Los Angeles. Number three, a second adaptation from Children of the New World is currently in the works. Eric, what do you think? Jeez. Uh, well, I know the first one that Kogonada is a video essayist. If you go to kogonada.com, you can watch his uh, visual essays. They're yes, quite, quite good. And I've, I've never seen Columbus, but this, uh, this film and that film are, I think, both noted for some of their production design and like how visually arresting they are to look at. So yes, they're very if you pretty. don't know, now you know. And I'm going to go fire up Columbus if I can if I can find it. Hopefully it's not on Showtime. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know why Showtime has to have movies. We have 11 other streaming services. We don't need a 12th. Yeah, Thanks. yeah, yeah. Thanks and no thanks, Showtime. <laughs> um, so Jody Turner-Smith, is that, is that the, the wife character? Lead. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, interesting. Introduced to P. Diddy. P. Diddy, I don't know about P. Diddy. He could just be uh, <laughs> introducing himself to a lot of different people and uh mm-hmm. you know hey you should be a model right that classic <laughs> p diddy yeah. um and then i so i actually I, I purchased this collection children of the new world by mm-hmm. alexander weinstein and i've read probably like 60 percent of the stories i think i have five left so i'm trying to think of like what other story would be adapted and i'm not sure mm-hmm. um however i god just in an effort to win i feel like i got a I got to just be like, P. Diddy is so random. Like, <laughs> please tell me through a mutual friend, she was not introduced to P. Diddy. You would be correct. Finally. <laughs> we did it. We did it, Joe. I figured I would help you out with that layup on the first one because I know that you already know that. <clears throat> but I feel like it's interesting to note for the listeners, right? But yes, uh, so the only lie within that statement is... It wasn't P. Diddy, it was uh, Pharrell Williams. Oh. So they had a mutual friend. She wanted to become a writer. He said, nah, girl, you should be a model. Come to L.A. And so the rest is history. Virginia Beach's own Pharrell Williams. That's true. And she actually lived, uh, she was born in England, but she 
grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Close to us. Shout out G-Berg. Yeah. So. She was in something else, right? This is not her first. She was in like another mainstream yeah, pro- que- project. Uh, Queen and Slim was with the Daniel Kaluuya, was the one that yeah. I recognized. Uh, but I think she's been in some other things as well. Yeah. But she's the lead in that, though. She is. She is. She yeah. is queen. She is queen. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then a second adaptation for Children of the World is in the works, but it was not. So it's from Lulu Wang, who directed The Farewell, the eight, other A24 joint that came out uh, like two years ago with Aquafina. Um, but it wasn't specified what short story. I think it's. It basically, this is what it says. This is the quote from Wikipedia Wang's next project is a film adaptation of Alexander Weinstein's collection of short fiction and short stories, Children of the New World. Uh, she has said that the project, quote, centers on the questions of family. So, not really sure. Maybe she's Pretty just, vague. like, picking and choosing what she wants. She's like, yeah, oh, from... yeah. None of these stories is actually good, but if I combine all of these stories into one movie, we could make one good movie. Maybe. These we'll are questions. These are questions. These are questions of family and, and faith and life and death. Well, we'll, we'll reach out. We'll get her on the pod, and she'll clarify it all for us. Cool. Well, congratulations. Uh, very happy for you. You have uh, broken the streak onto a new one. Hopefully, Thank you. hopefully more positive streak. We'll see. Yeah, I'm gonna hit the share button, and uh, hopefully that'll give me some <laughs> another heart. You know, I was running yeah. out of hearts. It's good to get the engagement. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the book. This episode of the Little Ends Podcast is brought to you by the nonprofit group German Tea Snobs. Tea rules and coffee drools, but it's not always easy to explain to your hipster friends why. German Tea Snobs are working to create a vocabulary for all tea snobs to express their intellectual superiority over coffee drinkers, one cup of tea at a time. Here's Wilhelm from Dortmund. I imagine things like you are walking through a forest and there are leaves on the ground, and it had just rained, and the rain had stopped, and it's damp, and you walk, and somehow it is all in this tea. German tea snobs. Be smarter than those hipster bean bros. And we are back. Thank you for that brief word from our sponsor. Um, So, before we get into the short story and the uh, analysis dissection if you if you will uh, of that subject we have a new sort of thing that we're going to do here it's going to be called studio pitch basically what it is eric is the producer he has the rights to the short story which he's read and analyzed and loves so much that he wants to make it into a feature film i am going to be the a24 studio head eric has to pitch me why should we make this so eric give it to me why should we why should we adapt saying goodbye to yang first of all sorry i'm late traffic on the 405 was a was a nightmare sorry about that my zip car couldn't find that's one. right just still not happening again. um so sir in the near future families will purchase robots to help with domestic tasks and raising children especially children adopted from other lesser countries like china these robots will teach but they will also record life's precious moments and let us relive the, lo- the lives of loved ones and even strangers. They will not be alive, but they will remind us that we are. And so we don't take it for granted. 
Yeah, I'm not really sold. I don't know. What if I told you I Colin Farrell is attached? He says he loves it. You love Colin Farrell. I can I can sell Colin Farrell. You can sell Colin Farrell. Yeah, definitely. Could you sell um, um you know, the impermanence of life? Are you is that is that something you might be interested in? As an A twenty four person, I'm not really interested in that. I'm more interested in like cool aesthetics and interesting characters. Well, we have Kogonata. So, I don't know if you've seen his blog or uh, oh, yeah. Columbus. We loved Columbus. Yeah, who didn't love Columbus? I don't remember if we John were Cho, associated right? with it. You know, who knew Columbus, Indiana, could look like Paris, France? Not me. Or better. Or better, honestly. honestly. Yeah. I think it, you know, okay. have you, did you ever imagine what Rome looked like in its heyday? That is what he made Columbus, Indiana look like. <laughs> <laughs> and he can do it again here. There's no, there's no, there's he no could. reason he can't. He's an I'm artistic genius. In I'm interested in Colin Farrell. I'm interested I'm, as an A24 person. I'm also interested in the soft sciences, the soft sci-fi, if you will. We have robots. We have clones. We have uh, a class divide. We have. Um, but we've already, we've already done Ex Machina. Why do we need to do After Yang? You didn't have Colin Farrell in Ex Machina. Can you imagine how good Ex Machina would be yeah, with Colin had, Farrell? We had Oscar Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> the card counter, Oscar Isaac. I, I mean, Colin Farrell was Daredevil. Who, who right. sells more tickets than Colin was Farrell? He? No, that was Ben Affleck, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Ben Affleck. Colin Farrell was the villain Jim. in Daredevil. Oh, I forgot. I forgot my client's filmography there for a second. (laughs) He so he was a villain in Daredevil. He was also the villain in the new Batman. Yeah, Penguin. Yeah, dang the new Batman, which is gonna, um, I think, broke Spider Man's record for largest opening in COVID, or it came close to it. A little film called The Batman, sir. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I think I've heard of it. The uh, the third lead in the batman probably actually like the the fifth lead but that's all right so getting back to after yang i think i'm 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 getting there i'm not totally sold eric for you what are some things from this short story that you would love to see adapted or what are some key characteristics key pillars of this story that you think this is why this can get made into a film um so if we're we're post the pitch meeting i will think i will say that like reading this story nothing about this like i would not be rushing out to make this movie i i i think probably there is um the yang of it all is is interesting the premise of like a household robot who helps assimilate an adopted child into a new life and teaches them and um, just sort of like is around to impart lessons is interesting insofar as like we explore the unexplored parts of the short story because the short story really doesn't care about like life. It, it, it cares more about family. It cares more that Yang won't have offspring what it what it misses i think is this idea that yang 
is not alive. And what does it mean to, or, you know, in the biological sense of the term, he, he mm-hmm. is not alive, but he is around live bodies. And how does someone like unalive make other people more alive? I think that is something that we can explore um, through this story. But I will tell you that like the mother, the father, the child characters, the neighbor character, like none of those people are interesting. And in fact, like mm-hmm. some of the people are like quite offensive. Um, yes. I, I, th- I really think like on the real, real, because this particular director who has a really, really cool vision for the world and humanity and, and life and like shapes and stuff is taking mm-hmm. this on. I think we can make it cool. Like, I, I really do think that it took this one person who got, you know, one or two stars aligned is the reason this movie gets made because you read this short story and you think like, Oh, you know, interesting premise. And it kind of goes nowhere, even though they're like mm-hmm. the building blocks between the story and the movie are the same. Um, mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't that interesting to me. I felt like it, it like in, insinuated a lot of stuff and was cool insofar as like, Oh, uh, there was like a war in Asia and there was an earthquake in China that resulted yeah. in, like some of the machinations of the story occurring, but like as far as what any of that actually means and what some of the like, we'll talk about clones later, but like there's clones in this story. Those aren't really important, but I, I think understanding that like we li- this world is full of humans, clones, robots, like yeah. we, can, we can play in this world. We're just mm-hmm. going to play a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean... How many, you know, science fiction movies uh, in the past talk about clones, robots, right? It's a tried and true sort of trope of the uh, of science fiction. Um, but kind of what you mentioned about the story, it, it felt a bit out of, out of place where you have these clones and you have these robots who are, uh, who act as humans, who have, you know... Um, who are very human-like. And you think, you know, okay, so this is, like, pretty far in the future. This is not, like, just around the corner. But then you have these mentions of iPods and bear traps at these, uh, like, local shops. And then you have, you know, racist themes. And you still have um, Crate and Barrel and Whole Foods, you know, mentioned in the story. And there's this weird, like, um, I don't know if that is, is done is more of a connection to the present, but it feels more present than, um, than I think it probably would be essentially, right? It feels if when you're initially reading, you're thinking clones, all that you think, Oh, this is going to be far in the future, but you're sort of brought back down to the present with those mentions as well. So it's maybe it's not that far in the future. Um, I don't know what you thought of that. I want to talk about it later when we talk about the movie too, but I think you're totally right. Like he takes, Yang, the father, takes him to a, a Detroit Tigers game, and it's all sort of the same. Yep. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think there is a, a calculus you have to make when, like, there are robots and clones that are normal. What does the world around them look like? And I think in this story, the mm. author just decided that, like, nothing's going to be different. We're pretty much just going to, like, yeah. put these technological advances in today's society, and that's just what it's going to be. Although it's mm-hmm. insinuated, right, that there was, like, been destabilized stabilization in asia and that's what some of this like 
racial conflict is over here. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's really not that important. And it's, it's almost like unnecessarily uninteresting. And mm-hmm. I don't know, we can talk about that part of it, but it's like, I, I just kind of like, don't care about somebody that, mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt like very like Twitter angry where it's like, oh yeah, this, you know, the, so he Yang breaks and he takes him to this, uh, shop to get him fixed. And he's like, Oh, you know, this guy's driving a pickup truck. I bet he's going to be racist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, wow. Yeah, looks yeah. like you got yourself a, like a Korean robot. And he's like, well, actually he's Chinese. And he's like, Oh, it's the same yeah. thing. And you're like, Oh, right, right. I looked at his table and he was reading guns and ammo magazine. And he had a, yeah. a sticker that said like, I don't do solar on his car. And he had another yeah, thing yeah. that was like, there's no yellow in the red, white and blue. I just like a lot of yeah. this stuff is so unnecessarily just- like, button pushing he just like you put it in there just to put it in there when you've created this like situation where there are clones robots humans living together i mean one thing we probably should talk about that neither source talks about is like why do people why are people cloning themselves why are are there robots like can people not actually procreate like can you not have human Mm -hmm. children anymore or if you can Mm -hmm. like how does that work it seems like in america you can't have human children because everyone's either getting these like Chinese um, kids from the earthquake or they're cloning, Mm -hmm. you know, past versions of themselves. I was like, well, that's an interesting thread to pull on. Like Mm -hmm. why aren't people having actual kids? Um, And we just don't do that. We just sort of like stick with the, like, I didn't feel comfortable bringing Yang here because he's a, you know, a Chinese robot. And this guy is clearly Mm -hmm. like going to not put him together properly because he's racist. Yeah. And in the in in the story, they mentioned the invasion of North Korea, and how Americans have essentially grouped Koreans, Chinese, and Japanese people all into one category now, and are basically like racist to like all of them. Um, I didn't really understand that as a collective. Yeah, I mean it's it's just mentioned and it's not explored, um, which you know, given the nature of a short story, you can't really do that. Um, I mean, I guess you could do it; just be a longer short story. Um, yeah, there's all these interesting like socio-political things going on in the background of the story. They're not the focus of the story, obviously, but um, there are there. It just seems like there are a lot of things going on externally that are not explored that are interesting and are big. Um, like and it's are hard big, to yeah. mention like war or like racism, and then we just like move right on. Right. Right. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if but you're gonna. If you're gonna if you're gonna pull that le- lever, like pull it, have something to say mm-hmm. about it. But it's just like a lever yeah. pulled to get you from one scene to the next, which is like I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it was kind of grating to me. Kind of what grating? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I I I enjoyed reading it. I mean, mostly for the fact that it was only twenty something pages, right? So it's gonna be quick. It's gonna be easy, digestible. Um. But I didn't. I you know I enjoyed the story. I didn't. I did not uh, dislike it. Um, what about you? What did you? What did you think about reading it? Yeah, I mean, my reaction was not quite as positive. But the same, like to echo what you've just said, it's like a twenty-page story. You how angry or like upset can you get about spending you know fifteen minutes reading it? Like you know the investment is low. The mm-hmm. you know your dislike also has to be relatively low. That said, like yeah. I. I don't know. I thought the I thought the like bones were interesting, and then the the innards, the like 
you know, circulatory system, whatever, however you want to like do this metaphor, the insides were not. So I, I think it was like kind of a thing that makes it really ripe for adaptation is that like you have your incident, which is Yang breaking. You have your ending, which is basically like, you know, the title of the story saying goodbye to Yang. And you have, I don't know, like a, a world kind of robots and clones and um, families and what it means to be alive kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. you have you have like your top line on your whiteboard. You just need to like waterfall in the interesting bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll I mean, we're going to get into the adaptation uh, here in a little bit. Um, but before we do. Eric, are you going to learn us something today? I sure am. Um, so, well, we all know there are two drakes, one hard, one soft. But I think not as many people know that there are two kinds of science fiction, also hard and soft. Oh. So hard sci-fi, the term uh, hard science fiction was actually first used in a 1957 issue of Astounding Science Fiction, which um, our listeners will know now as Analog Science Fiction, in fact, friend of the podcast, Analog science fiction, in fact. The basic idea here for hard sci-fi is that a story should try to be accurate, logical, credible, and rigorous in its use of current scientific and technological knowledge uh, about scenarios and situations that are, you know, practical or theoretically possible. Um, Mm -hmm. These are your Robert Highlands, your Arthur C. Clarks, Michael Crichton's, Chichen Liu, um, and more modern would be like Andy Weir. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, soft science fiction was coined about two decades later, and it's just like sort of the inverse of hard sci-fi. Uh, it includes stories that explore the softer sciences, so like psychology, polyscience, anthrop- anthropology, um, and it often is more focused on human emotions, speculative societies, relationships between characters, rather than actual scientific accuracy or plausible engineering. So we we'll take jumps in, you know, scientific logic to get the character outcome that we want. These are your Ursula K. Le Guin's, your Dunes, your Star Wars, Invisible Man. A lot of little ends joints uh, are mm-hmm. soft sci-fi. And I would say that uh, after Yang, also soft sci-fi. Definitely. Definitely. I like this. This is, I like the tie-in with uh, Drake as well. Hard versus soft. Yeah. Which do you think he prefers? Do you think he likes hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi? Drake, he he seems more of a soft sci-fi guy, for sure. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he would get too amped for the next. What's like a like a the, what's that series on Amazon? Like Wheel um, of Time. No, no, no. It's like a it's like a hard sci-fi. I don't know. It might not even be hard. It's like a space opera. Oh, The Expanse. The Expanse, yeah. He's, he doesn't seem like an Expanse kind of guy. He seems like a After Yang kind of guy. I feel like hard sci-fi is good for TV, and soft sci-fi would be more of your movies. Yeah. So you could do it 90 to whatever, 180 minutes rather than over the course of like 10 hours. Yeah, that sounds right. But this is good. This is Look at you doing this uh, science fiction research here. Ursula K. Le Guin. Robert Heinlein. Yeah. Heinlein. I would say Heinlein, but I don't think that's right. I think it is Heinlein. I don't I've never read Robert Heinlein, but um Yeah, neither have I, but I have uh 
one of his on my on my bookshelf eventually i'll read it um but yes i absolutely agree that this is is definitely a soft science fiction um so you've said you you mentioned before that you'd read i think about 60 percent of the short story collection by alexander weinstein would you say that the, the other stories are soft science fiction as well it's a, like varying degrees like yeah i think mix? i think others are a little more they like they put the science, I think, a little more to the center of it. There's there's one story that is, like, told entirely through, like, footnotes to something, which might be a little more, mm. a little harder, just because it's, like, it's, like, an academic paper kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the other mm-hmm. stories, I would say, are probably soft. Okay. I'm, I prefer soft sci-fi. I don't... You seem like a soft Yeah. I read Project Hail Mary, and that's pretty hard, I would say. And a lot of that stuff, kind of, I just kind of like glaze over. I don't. It's. It, I don't know. I, I'm sure that like you know certain readers are like that's the that's the good stuff. And I'm just yeah, waiting yeah, yeah. for like the next character beat. You're right, right, right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and that's an Andy Weir novel for those who are not familiar. Sorry. That's okay. Just shout out Andy Weir. Yeah, come on the podcast. We met him in person. We should. Um, we did, yeah. He's, we have signed copies of Artemis, so we do. A, so he sh- we got to reach out. A lovely, a lovely guy. Ten out of ten. Like very lovely. <laughs> so thank you for that, Eric. Uh, thank you for learning us the difference between soft and hard, Drake as well as uh, science fiction. Uh, we are going to take a quick break uh, here from our sponsor, real quick, and we'll be right back to discuss the film. Come on, Yank. What are you doing? Come, come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not gonna buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. What do you mean?
And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from our sponsor. So we've talked about the short story. We've mentioned things about the movie, but now we're going to dive deep on the differences. Um, and I think Eric would agree that the tone of the story, the the overall narrative of the story is relatively the same, um, taken from the same beats, from the same pillars of the narrative. Um, but with that said, how would you describe this adaptation? Is it literal, loose, reimagined? I, I don't. I I went with reimagined here, and I am curious your okay. reaction to that. It feels like a little aggressive for, like ultimately the same characters in the same world, but it is like everything else besides, like four or five narrative beats are different. I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah, if that feels like a strong reaction to the adaptation, I would say on the scale, it's probably closer to loose for me than reimagined. But it's like inching that way, and I you know we'll get into it obviously here once we break it all down. But yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment that you know it is very similar in a lot of the the basically the the film sort of the the roots of the story are in the short story. And the film sort of is like the the tree that sort of just sprouts and like goes its, in its own different directions, as we find out later. You're on. saying Kogonata grafted onto the short story to make his own movie. Listen, a, a, a yeah, ancient Chinese practice listen. grafting. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. but yes, that's what yeah. I'm saying. That's when they graft, um, or grafting is when you put a branch of one tree onto the another branch of another tree or i guess you could graft onto a a trunk i suppose but it's like Mm -hmm. one branch not glued but like essentially like affixed to another branch of a different species yeah and it sort of grows onto it yeah much like adopted um children grow into living with uh their adopted parents that's right they're grafted onto them i had no idea about grafting until I saw the movie, like for at least for trees. I've heard of grafting in like hospitals, right? It's more like a, yeah, like a, a biological or like a whatever. Healthcare, it's a healthcare process. Word. Yeah, it is a healthcare word. Yes, that's true. Anatomy, healthcare buzzword. Anatomy was the word I was looking for. <laughs> it's not our expertise, but you know we've heard of it. So let's get into the differences here. Um, what's the first one you want to cover? I want to talk about the world briefly and well, you mentioned this in the literature section, but I think it probably bears mentioning again. Um, I think the first decision you kind of have to make with this adaptation is it's set in a near future, but at the same time, there are clones, there are robots. Uh, why can't there be more? What else, what else can there be? So you're left with this, Mm -hmm. like basically blank slate to create whatever you want for this world. We have (laughs) robots that cost $8,000 you know, it's the cost of a, a used car pre supply chain issues in this country. Why can't mm-hmm. we have cooler, sh- newer shit? And I think mm-hmm. you would agree with me. This movie runs with that idea. Like you want autonomous vehicles. Fuck. Yeah. You want this like mm-hmm. cool feng shui Japanese glass paneled house that probably belongs in MoMA. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. We got that too. You want like, <laughs> you know, artisanal coffee shops, artisanal tea shops, you know, don't worry. There's no Whole Foods here. There's no uh, crane barrel here. Everything you're getting is like beautiful, 
hewn wood. Um, everything mm-hmm. is, I don't know. It's like a Brooklynite's like wet dream basically is the, is how this yeah, definitely. movie is designed. I would say with like a lot of greenery, a lot of glass, it just, it kind of looks like what you might imagine, like a nice, like Nordic full, like a hundred percent renewable energy. Um, like, mm. you know, everybody is, is green and crunchy. That's just what this movie yes. looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas the story is more Absolutely. like, you know, Michigan, Michigan chic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they mentioned exactly where they are in the movie. Um, I don't think they're in Michigan, though. No, I don't think they say. As as my dog throws up her bone behind me, excuse me for the <laughs> the retching. Yeah, so for, for um, me, that's the first decision you have to make. Like, you know, we have these we have these things. What else can we fill this world with? Because there's mm-hmm. a lot of potential to do whatever you want. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it definitely expands on it with the self-driving cars, like you mentioned. Um, the whole aesthetic of the movie is just not what I got when I read um, when I read the short story. And they definitely, like, gave it some style, right? Um, some style points for, for Koganata there. Um, yeah, but anything else you want to mention I think, there? no, just that Koganata has all the style points, right? Like, he's... Yeah, definitely. There, you know, when you think of like other stylish filmmakers, maybe like Wes Anderson comes to mind with like the very twee, like specific, particular way he shoots movies. You you would just like know mm-hmm. that's a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Columbus, so it's hard to say. But like this movie is, it's just like I don't know. It's like Chef's Kiss emoji with how yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. cool it all is. Yeah, I will say, um, um, it's it's similar to Columbus in a lot of ways where um, obviously the set design and the production design are very stylistic um, and they serve a purpose in the narrative. But also um, he, and I think he's probably stole this from, you know, or, you know, from Uzu, who is an uh, influential filmmaker. I think it's, uh, I think it's Yasujiro Uzu, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or Ozu, excuse me. I sound like such an idiot here, but basically he has, he has a video essay on it where he, like lets the camera sort of breathe on these passageways and like people kind of walk through them and stuff. And you, and you get that a lot in Columbus and you get that a little bit here. He, he does that in some uh, scenes where it'll be in a hallway and it'll be looking through a doorway into a room or like a long hallway and, and multiple doors. He does that a lot. Um, so I think he's sort of taking from his uh, uh, predecessors, if you will, uh, and, and installing that here. So, yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend just like put, put this movie in a moment. That's it. (laughs) Uh, second difference I wanted to touch on briefly. Will is just like Yang's purpose in each of these stories. So in the short story, Yang is meant to be this like cultural conduit between this adopted Chinese, um, girl and her adopted white family. But he is also supposed to be like her. And this is something that I thought was really stupid. Like her babysitter. So like when he, when he no longer works, the parents are very concerned what that means for like the raising of the kid. And I'm like, don't you have school or like parents or I don't know, go to a friend's house. Like you can figure out fucking babysitting. This is not, this is not a, this is not a plot, but you can't have a clone as your babysitter, at least according to 
these characters. Yeah, because he's anti-clone. He's anti-clone, For, yeah. But how are you going to know if it's a clone or not? That's a good question. They don't get into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. But, yeah, I just thought, like, okay, you spent $8,000 on a babysitter. Like, this is not – this is this doesn't make sense to me. It, it doesn't, like – I'm not mm-hmm. – I can't care about that because it's a dumb motivation. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. Um, I, th- I think it – the term is wrong. Like, it shouldn't be a babysitter. It should be, like, a – like a nanny, like a house nanny who's always there. Like a babysitter is a temporary thing, right? They're just, at least in my mind, they're there, they're hired, they come for a night or two and then they leave. But like a nanny or like a house maid, I guess, always there, always around. That's what it feels like. But I feel like it's more of a brother, right? At least to the girl. Yeah. It's more of a family member. I think he's described as being 18 and she is five to seven to 10. Yeah, I don't do well like with that, yeah. kids' ages between. She's definitely not ten, but she's you probably like yeah five to seven or something. Yeah, so he he does uh, he does do Big Brother, like I think that's definitely his purpose, and I think the movie goes to greater lengths to show that like familial tie than the the story does. Mm-hmm. The story is more like oh you know if you've if you've listened to this song on the radio, you can tell that there is an ancient Chinese instrument used like in this song, yeah, yeah. and it's called the. I, there's I couldn't pronounce it, but it's like Z I N I think. Um, yeah, something. Yeah, he's more just like a, a trivial pursuit player rather than like, an, mm-hmm. you know, a brother. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Yang's purpose is definitely different um, from the narrative in the short story as it is uh, cer- certainly more dived into in the film. And we'll get, you know, like you mentioned, it's, I think it, you said he, uh, they mentioned that he's 18 or whatever. And we find out, obviously, and we'll talk about this in a, in a few minutes here, that that is not the case, at least in the film version, that he is uh, much older than that. Um, do we want to get into that? Let's do it. Or should we wait for no, memory? Do Transition to it. <clears throat> so we find out, um, and this is in the film version, not the not the short story, that the Yang actually has a much deeper history than originally thought. Um, he essentially was, uh, when this family, yeah, I guess, purchased him, uh, and brought him into their family. He was sort of refurbished, certified pre-owned, like baby. An iPhone, certified pre-owned, and you know, is sort of like a used robot uh, from before. And with uh, Colin Farrell's character, I think Jake, uh, his access to his memories, um, and he starts watching them more and more, and he starts finding out more and more about Yang, uh, and then that's sort of like the reveal at the very end of the movie, um, right? Where we find out he has a special relationship with this, uh, barista girl at this coffee shop and they seem to have some sort of, you know, uh, I don't know if it's romantic, but they certainly have some, some sort of friendship relationship going on. Um, and then we find out later that, um, she's actually a clone of somebody from a previous, let me get this right. She is a clone of, I, I guess the daughter of her of Yang's previous owner, his first owner, is that right? Yeah, his first owner, who died um, tragically young, I think. Yes, yeah, and so the clone has no idea, right? Even the clone has no idea that this is the the case. So this is sort of his. We find out Yang's purpose and motivation for 
forming this relationship with this barista, which seems sort of out of the ordinary, right? Um, it sort of is, you know, not known about clearly from our perspective as a viewer, but also from the perspective of the family as well. Yeah, I, I think it gives a, a lot of credence to these bigger ideas about like, you know, the one of the big ideas in sci-fi is basically just like, what is, what is it? What is a human? What does a human do? Like, how when when and how are you alive? And so, by giving Yang this like past history, we're seeing him interact with three generations of of different families. Um, but also like we recognize that he has this awareness or memory of this person who died a long time ago and really isn't them because it's a clone version of them. But he somehow understands that like this physical being is the same physical being that he had a relationship's not exactly the right word because I don't mean it like in a in a sexual sense, but like a, you know he knew her, he like worked for her. He was either a brother or sister to her perhaps. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's able, he, he knows that he's aware of that. And presumably he knows that she died and is now a clone. Um, But I think it, I think it shows you that Yang is, is probably a little bit more than a robot. He's maybe a little bit more human than we, we might think. Mm-hmm. it's hard i mean it's like a, a there's part of the reason this movie is so good is that i don't think you really get the easy answer on what is he supposed to be what is he supposed to understand what is he supposed to know it's just a lot of i think questions that you can answer without having a definitive answer to it yeah i think you know, I think the director leaves it, leaves a story in a place where, like that that question that you just asked, like you know, how how human is this robot, um, is is up to the viewer to decide for themselves, right? That is not a question that he answers for you. That is something that like this is the story, and these are the things that we know about him. You know, is he capable of having this romantic relationship with this person? And how, you know, where does the line between, you know, robot essentially and human end? And that certainly gets blurrier with the more we find out about him that he clearly has these like interests and these quote unquote feelings for particular people. Um, Yeah, so it's like sort of up to up to the viewer to decide, you know, where that line is or like what defines a robot versus a human. Uh, or how human is Yang? Could he be considered a human? Right? Yeah. It's, he, he, he acts in ways that might make you think that he is human too, because he, he seems to have like an awareness of like, so in the movie he collects, or he like glues together matchsticks in like a little like log formation. And he also has this like um, mm-hmm. glass case of butterflies and moths that he's collected mm-hmm. over time. But like why collect things? You know, presumably they have meaning and if you can understand meaning then maybe you understand more than that or may- maybe that's enough to mm-hmm. make you more than a robot in which like you know, you think of a robot you just think of like somebody that has inputs and outputs. Well, 
-hmm, Something that's meaningful is a little bit more complicated than that because it's not meaningful just because it exists. It's meaningful because it reminds you of something else that you've experienced. Yeah, it reminds you of a... Exactly. It reminds you of a feeling or something of the past that you experienced. Yeah, it doesn't remind you of Um, a fact. That would be more robotic, right? Like, Yeah, like this is a twig or this is a moth. A moth is an insect. Right. Like very factual information as opposed to like a feeling that it evokes within yeah yeah i think in the in the story he mentions that he is he's also collecting butterflies and moths in the story and he mentions that they're beautiful which is you know i think plays the same chord which is that like you know Mm -hmm. he understands that these are more valuable than just existing right there's like a a reason Mm -hmm. to appreciate them right right and beautiful is like a subjective thing it's not objective necessarily um, I think moths are gross. So yeah, fuck moths. Well, that's wow. I'm kidding. I, I like a moth. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the so the film sort of expands on this idea that the short story is sort of toying with, um, like, you know, Yang this robot's purpose to this family, but also its purpose to like itself, um, you know, in 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 the larger story. Um, that the story is telling so yeah do you have anything else to say on his purpose or no you want to talk about memories because i feel like this this cycles nicely into that because yes i think you know whether or not we consider yang alive is one thing and it's, it's certainly a question that the movie tackles but i think it's undeniable that he also helps everyone else understand their own life and that is primarily through mm-hmm. memories right so you, I, I, we talked about this where um in the movie initially when he goes to get repaired the first repairman or first or second repairman i think the second repairman actually is like hey just so you know there's spyware in your robot he's he's got like this like recording he's recording things so mm-hmm. he's seeing stuff and is it he's you know a foreign robot so maybe this is like kind of not on the straight and narrow um but it turns out Mm -hmm. that he has this memory bank i think will you were talking about this um and colin farrell you know for like a third of the movie is basically like putting on these sunglasses at night and going into yang's memory box to view memories of you know you know colin farrell's family jake jake's family but then also realizes Mm -hmm. that there are two additional memory boxes that he can unlock mm-hmm. and see memories of. And, you know, second memory box is the family before. And he goes to meet that woman who says, Oh, actually I wasn't the first owner. There's a third family. And mm-hmm. yeah. we can see all these memories. We see all these lives lived. Um, and it's basically just the, the idea that Yang is documenting life. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, his storage is actually a human memory. But the thing about Yang is that because he is a robot, some of his storage is permanent. Whereas, like, the memory that you or I might have when we die, it's fleeting. No one else will ever have mm-hmm. that memory again because no one will, will experience the same thing at the same time in the same place. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Take a puff of weed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it, the, his memories 
or a comment on like how impermanent everything is because we see these two other families, we see them grow old, we see them die and move on. Um, and Yang is there to document it and is there to show what happened when to someone now. And mm-hmm. part of that, you know, in the movie, uh, there's a museum curator who is like, oh my God, we've never had a robot like go offline like this and have access to all these memories. This should be something that's put in a museum. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically like cinema verite. I don't know. It's like a reality show, but very like less, you're like less aware of this recording because nobody knew they recorded, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, but I don't know the, the idea of like this robot recording memories helps everyone understand that your life can live on even when you're dead. And on the flip side, you know, we're go- we'll talk about clones more in a second, but like, what is a clone other than like you deciding that your body is going to live on or your like visage will live on in the future. So like when mm-hmm. I die, you know, my body and everything will die with it, including my memories. But if I have a clone, my memories and consciousness will die, but like my physical, my, my physique can live on. So I don't know. There's, there's something to Yang and his, like how his, how his presence and work in life allows people to see how life memories, thoughts, like things, um, continue on even when they themselves are gone. That if it, I don't, it's, it's hard to express kind of, and I don't know, I'm not like, that's an interesting point. The biggest, uh, psychological theoretical thinker. Um, but I don't know, to me it was, Yang was this important, like piece of memorabilia. I think, I think I understand where like the, the museum curator is coming from. Like Yang has access mm-hmm. to all this stuff. And he helps people realize that this stuff did happen and it is important. Like the, the day-to-day moments of your life, the domestic scenes, the hardships, eating bowls of ramen on a video call with your wife, like a lot of that stuff's important. And a lot of that stuff like mm-hmm. can get thrown away so easily. So having it, I don't know. Having it digitized is great. I don't know. Is this like an Amazon.com commercial? I'm not sure. Is it an Apple commercial? Oh my God, could you imagine? <laughs> No, I think you bring up a really interesting point. It's it's the dichotomy between phys- like physical being versus um like a conscious like consciousness essentially. Like physicality versus consciousness. Um and the battle between that and the battle between or the opposition the opposition of a clone versus a robot in the sense where like you just mentioned Haley Lou Richardson's character in this movie, she was a clone. So her body and everything, you know, that came with it was cloned. It was, you know, they made a second version. Um, but she didn't have any of the same memories as the other person, right? It was just the physical being, the physical form. Whereas Yang is a physical form. He's a physical entity. He's a robot. Um, but he has lasted however many years, generations, and he has all these memories throughout all these generations. So it's like, it's sort of like the opposite. Like instead of making a, a second version of a physical form, you have this one form that lives all this way, but has all these access to all these memories. 
and uh, eventually dies, but the memories sort of live on, whereas the memories don't live on in a clone, um, which is a really interesting dichotomy, which you were just mentioning here um, for the story. I actually didn't think about that, I think, until you just mentioned it, but that is um, sort of another aspect of this movie that makes it so good. It's so much, probably so much better than the short story. Um, and I thought it was interesting how they sort of played on current times with Russ, the, the, um, engineer who looks at Yang, he's like the, the racist guy, um, racist redneck, redneck character, how he is basically saying, oh, this, this memory bank is actually just spyware. They're collecting, um, all these, you know, visual videos of your family. And sending it back to the Chinese government or whatever it is, you know, the conspiracy theory, uh, you know, lives on in that sense. But obviously, the museum curator realizes this is not spyware. This is like a memory bank for this, um, this robot. And the reason it's interesting is because he can only record. I think it's like three seconds or something right. to the effect. It's limited in how much he can record each day. Um, so he can only really record a fleeting mo- one particular moment of each day, and he gets to decide what that moment is, which is like sort of tapping into that humanity aspect. So he, it basically gives him the ability to value specific moments over others, and get to choose which ones he wants to sort of relive and re, you know, come back to later on. Um, which I think if is is sort of a it's a quality that every human can sort of relate to, right? Because we have pictures, we have videos, and we post them online, and we can always access them later. But we're not doing that 24-7, right? We're maybe doing that once or twice a day and realizing this is a moment that I want to either share with people or come back to later on and, like, relive. Um, so it's it's a, it's a human quality, I think, that they uh, incorporate here into Yang's character. Um yeah, so that was a that was a very cool, very cool moment. In the movie. I'll add two things to that. I, I based on what you're saying, you know, the the short amount of recording he can do, it is interesting to see when he's doing that. Like, I I think the the bookends of the movie are Yang setting up this like tri, this tripod camera to take a picture of the family together, and he's standing there just like looking at them, and they're like, Yang, what are you doing? Like, come into the picture. But in reality, what he's doing is like putting this family into his mind bank because he, to your point, like recognizes, hey, this is an important family moment. And mm-hmm. they don't, they're not aware he's doing that, but it is, you, when you recognize that later, it is pretty resonant. And two, um, mm-hmm. I think your point about like, you know, the engineer who finds the quote unquote spyware, like immediately after that, there is a scene where, you know, the members of the family go to work. And the camera lingers in the house, which is like this glass paneled house. And Haley, Haley Lou Richardson's character like pops out of nowhere. And for a minute, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, is this actually going to be like an espionage movie? Or you're just like, yeah, right. spyware. <laughs> and then this woman is like case in the house. And it's kind of a creepy yeah. scene. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, she looks. Yeah, she has that look, too. She's got like dyed hair. And she looks like she could be like it, like a crazy operative for some, whatever weird government. Yeah, or you're just like, what movie? What movie are we actually watching? <laughs> yeah, uh, but then it, it moves on from that. But yeah, yeah. Do you do you think that's an intentional thing from Koganada? Is like I'm, I want to play into this 
aspect is like, like from a, I guess from a director's standpoint, like, is that something that you know, objectively that the audience, like, I want to sort of play with their mindset. I'm going to set up this conspiracy theory thing. And then the next scene, I'm going to add this, like, uh, this girl casing this house to sort of like play into that thought. Probably because, you know, he's, he doesn't realize he's looking for her until he realizes he's looking for her. And then we realize we've actually already seen her do some, like what we assume is some sketchy shit, but what in reality Mm -hmm. is like every day she just visits Yang at home when everyone's gone. So it's very like normal to her, but to us, because of of the order we see stuff and learn stuff, it's, it's weird. And it, you know, it colors our perspective of her until we learn otherwise. We're very untrusting until it's turned. As we should be. We we shouldn't trust anybody. Especially not clones. Especially not clones. You want to talk about clones? I would love to. Uh, So there are clones. And in the short story, um, uh, the narrator's neighbor has two clones as for daughters. And Mm -hmm. I think basically like the Jake character in the book, in the story, sees cloning as this like egotistical decision to have yourself mm-hmm. or someone you love like live on in the future and the the mm-hmm. question i have is like can we not just like procreate normally i don't know never addressed um but it seems mm-hmm. to be like that might be the case in any event like mm-hmm. the people who have clones and the people who i guess adopt or have like robot second siblings sort of are have like a classist conflict where mm-hmm. it's kind of like the right wing people clone and the, everyone else doesn't clone. <clears throat> right. That, that's yeah. the basic like dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the movie, you know, as we just mentioned, Haley, Ri- Haley Lou Richardson plays this clone character. Who's a barista um, who Yang finds and has like another relationship with, in the present time. And I think we get to understand a little bit more about this, like clone, the purpose of clones or like what they mean, Mm -hmm. what they can tell us. And Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I remembering that the two of them, Yang and does she have a name? She must have a name, right? I just can't think of it. Yeah. I can look it up. Um, They have this moment together where they're talking about, the afterlife and how the afterlife probably doesn't exist. And it's kind of an interesting moment because for me, I think the the presence of a clone sort of just suggests that the afterlife isn't real because if the afterlife or people no longer believe in the afterlife, because if they did, you wouldn't need to clone yourself to live in this world. Again, you would know that you're living in, whatever your version of the afterlife is, you know, right. I don't, my, my body, my consciousness, my Move form, somewhere. they're going somewhere else. We don't need to, I don't need to recycle myself for earth again because mm-hmm. I already know I'm, I'm doing something. So by cloning yourself, I think you're admitting that there is nothing next. And mm. I don't know. I thought that was sort of an interesting, an interesting thing to bring up here. The only way for you to live on is to clone yourself. You know, there's nothing next. There's only a redo over and over and over again. Right, a recycled version. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was like way better than just having clones be the like something that the right wing folks in Ann Arbor do <laughs> while yeah, they drive yeah. their hybrid cars, which are <laughs> which are bad right. in this world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even having a little bit of oil uh, is not preferable in society. So her her character's name is Ada, A D A. Yeah, it gives it certainly gives the clone character or you know uh, clone theme more relevance in society, like you said, as opposed to just being like what right wing people do or what like egotistical people do. Uh, it gives them a little bit more substance uh, as to why um, they exist in this world, and they go into it a little bit more where there's a little bit more conflict between um, Jake Colin Farrell's character. And the daughter of um, his next door neighbor, George, uh, George, I believe it is, um, where she sort of confronts him and is like, she's rude to him because she knows that he, his views on clones, right? And she has obviously sisters who are clones, so she obviously feels a certain way about it. Um, whereas that is not really delved into, and that scene does not exist in the short story, but. You know, you can imagine that scene happening in the short story. Uh, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility um, in that regard. But, yeah. Yeah, I feel like in a story, clones are just, are just like the other option. Like, you know, I could adopt or I could have a clone. And, you know, I don't want to have a clone, so I'm going to adopt. In the movie, they realize that, like, clones are interesting because of what they are right like there's a lot that comes to comes at play when you think of like why would somebody clone themselves what does a clone do like are they better behaved as a kid do do you just clone yourself at 18 and then you're just 18 forever do clones age you know what does it what does it mean to want a clone or all these different things and i mean you know this movie is is kind of a thought experiment in a lot of different ways about what it means to be alive what it means to die what it means to like love and have you know a family or have just like memories happen to you just to live kind of thing um and so by allowing us to meet a clone to see a clone and a robot have a relationship you're sort of like showing all sides of what can be Mm -hmm. so i don't know i think it's a fuller picture of like human clone robot triangle what does it mean to be any of these people how do they pass on from being alive to being dead from now to Mm -hmm. next kind of thing yeah and it's another theme of the story is sort of like acceptance where in in both the stories short story in the movie where uh jake and you know the main character sort of accepts uh their reality their new reality with clones and that you know they're they're having sort of a single-minded view about it where in the short story obviously yang dies and they're talking about him and his wife are talking about um you know how how are we going to find a new sitter and their neighbor george offers the services of one of his daughters right to to um, babysit whenever they're needed and they sort of are coming to grips with like you know maybe we just need to accept this as part of our life and just sort of like move on with it and allow this clone to sort of babysit our daughter in the, in the film. Um, Colin Farrell's character has a relationship with 
Ada, right? Because he finds her, they start discussing her relationship to Yang and stuff, and um, he becomes, he actually doesn't, I don't think he knows that she's a clone at first, and that sort of opens him up, right, um, to, to, you know, learning more about her and being more receptive to her because of her relationship with Yang, which he's witnessed through these these memory banks, uh, these, these sort of like, these weird cool glasses that he wears, uh, that allows him to see the memories in the movie. But yeah, so it's an interesting take on the clone trope, sci-fi trope, because I feel like mostly what it's done is like, it's like this Will Smith movie where he doesn't realize that there's a clone out there and they come to face to face and they have to fight to the death for, you know, that's sort of like the, I feel like that's a sci-fi trope for clones, but this is a much more interesting take on Gemini it. Man, you're thinking of. Gemini Man, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you. There's a new Mahershala Ali one that's... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a series or if it's a show, but it's it's out somewhere. It's like a similar kind Swan of thing. Swan Song, I think maybe it's called. Yeah, yeah. So that's like a tried and true trope. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. We started there, we end there, you know? <laughs> Is that the best? Star no, that Wars, movie. That's the movie that, that the guy commented on my letterbox review of. Oh, about the acting. Yeah, because that's the first Hayden Christensen appearance as Anakin. Eric basically uh, was not very kind to uh, Hayden Christensen's acting abilities, and this this man on Letterboxd refuted Eric's claims of his acting abilities. Yeah. So. It's a bit of a feud on Letterboxd. There only I thought there were only feuds on Twitter, but now it's Who knew? I thought Letterboxd was like a friendly place where all, all people not. can come together and have discussion. <laughs> yeah, raise your hand if you knew that Hayden Christensen had a Golden Globe nomination. And then raise your other hand if yeah. you think that means he's a good actor. Thank you. <laughs> the defense rests. Zero hands are raised. Defense rests. <laughs> I'm 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 really excited to see where this feud goes. I hope it develops. I hope not. I'm cutting it off at the knees. <laughs> so, um, I think that kind of covers the majority of the main uh, differences between uh, the short story and the and the movie. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think ultimately both kind of conclude with them saying goodbye to Yang and understanding like Yang's value to their life and how they can uh, be stronger for his existence. Yeah. So would you say that this adaptation is successful? I think this is the best thing that could happen to this short story collection because I think people will see this movie eventually. I mean, I don't know why it has to be on Showtime. That's a, that's a rant for another day. But, you know, people will see this movie in theaters or on Showtime or wherever it ends up, and they'll be like, hey, this is really good. I would like to download this short story collection to read these short stories. And they will see that this short story is not as good as this movie, but Alexander Weinstein will have your money. And... uh that will be a a boon for him. Um, He's got that producer cred. So. Yeah, he has a producer credit. I guess because this movie is pretty small. Like if you look at the box office, it's like forty five thousand dollars. So I don't know mm. what it means for the rollout of this. But if you, I think if you can find it, you should find it. Just that I, I think it was successful because it took it took the framing and it just filled it in with stuff that I found to be a little bit more interesting. Yeah, would you agree? Definitely, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, with everything you just said. Um, Did you like... So I, I assume... 
Yeah, did you like the movie? Yes, I, I, I would assume yeah. yes. I think we both really like this movie, right? Like, four. Yeah, this definitely. is a four and a half for me, um, which is big money. That's a that's a high. I don't usually go that high. I don't like to. I don't like to really? do fives. I don't like to do four and a half so if I can avoid it. Like, I feel like it's. I don't know. It's got to be really good for me to want to give it a five, or really rewatchable. Yeah, it, like if it's something I can just like. Like Ocean's Eleven is, you know, probably not a five star movie, yeah. but goddamn, if Ocean's Eleven is on, a hundred percent of the time I'm turning it on, which is like, okay, well then that's five stars, right? <laughs> that's fair. That's a fair way to rate it, I think. Um, classic, easily digestible, easily watchable, and entertaining. Um, this one's a little bit more. This is not as entertaining, probably, as that one is, but it's a lot more. Um, uh, I, I think I feel like it sticks with you longer. Um, you 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 find yourself coming back to it and thinking more about it and talking about it and stuff like that. But yeah, I like the movie as well. Uh, would definitely recommend. I think it's it. approachable too. So you know? like it's soft sci-fi. Like you know, normies like me can watch it and be like, okay, I'm I'm I get what's going on here, right? It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's not too yeah heavy. Yeah, but it's cool to look at. Like interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like a visually beautiful film as yeah. well. It's like easy on the eye. I mean, with Colin Farrell with his shirt off, I mean, what, do you, what else are you going to do, right? Like, Colin Farrell confirmed does not take his shirt off in the Batman. So, uh, you need your shirtless Colin Farrell. Come to come see after Yang. Absolutely. <laughs> um, hot takes. Um, for me, I, f- I just feel like more adaptations should be based on short stories. I just feel like maybe this is recency bias or whatever, but I feel like there's been so many good adaptations. Um, based on short stories like this, like Arrival, like there's, there's, I feel like there's probably this bigger issue with full novels where you have to hit all these certain things because you have the, you know, this, all these fans of the novel. Um, and if you don't hit everything that you, it's basically not as good, right? But you have so much more leeway with a short story, right? Like you can just, there's less material, so you have ability to sort of cover everything in the short story and then expand upon it, like this one did, um, and make it better. Obviously, you need to have all these things going for you and stuff, but I don't know. I feel like short stories are kind of an untapped market, maybe. I like it. Like Murakami. There's a lot of Murakamis coming. Yeah, exactly. A lot of Kings coming. A lot of Stephen Kings. Does he have a lot of short stories? Stephen King has a lot of everything. That's fair. That. It was all those drugs. <laughs> what about uh, you? My hot take. This is the movie that Free Guy wanted to be. I don't know if you've seen Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds movie, but the long and short of, of it is not. that like he is an AI. He becomes an AI character. So he becomes like alive in this video game and people are all like, oh my God, he's alive. You can't kill this AI. He's a, he's a, he's a real person. And uh, <laughs> I think this movie makes you more believe that... It, this robot is real that and like you know you're sad when he dies versus like ryan reynolds as a livable mm-hmm. ai and free guy so free guy eat I your like heart it. out you know i think i'm gonna pass on free guy but i'm glad that you watched it and you're able to tell me what happened so yeah now i don't have to there you go i appreciate it thank you um and then move your book movie for me pretty i think pretty easy yeah same here same go way. see this movie and then go see it please do um what will we remember most um 
for the movie, the dance off, uh, which is like sort of the opening credit scene, which just kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah. and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what am I getting myself into? And then it sort of plays into this. It sort of sets up the story. Essentially Yang sort of breaks down cause he's doing these weird dance moves and then he eventually dies, uh, which I actually kind of prefer the story version. I think it's more comical for him to sort of slam his head into a cereal bowl over and over. But maybe that's like too comedic for this like tone of movie, right? But then you have this weird dance off. I don't know. Yeah, both are a little goofy. Anyway. There is there is some like goofy goofiness here. Yeah. Um, and then for the book, Yang slamming his head into the cereal bowl, like I just mentioned. I thought that was a great. I don't know. I liked it. I chuckled. So. Yeah. We love we love a robot dying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For me, what about you? For the movie, it's it's the like Colin Farrell wearing those sunglasses, looking into the memory bank. Oh yeah, I thought that was a really cool visual of all these memories are like sort of like different stars in a constellation, and he can like scroll through and pick and choose what he wants. I thought that was really Mm -hmm. well visualized. And then from the book, it's it's just like the MAGA mechanic stuff. I just you know. I remember that being stupid, and I, I did not care for that. <laughs> Go focus on clones. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna give me a clone, yeah, yeah, yeah. then like let's do let's do the clone thing. Yeah. You know, I don't need the. I don't know. The racist uh, mechanic guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little too on the nose, a little too, on the head. But, I get it. That's fair. Um, so those are our final thoughts. That is the adaptation. Uh, if you're still with us, we appreciate you listening. Um, this is our sign off here. So check out our most recent episode on the power of the dog and check out our, uh, or keep an eye out, excuse me, for our next episode, which is going to be on the tragedy of Macbeth, um, hopefully next weekend. And then we'll kind of ramp up. We're going to be getting ready for the Oscars. In a couple weeks. Get your tuxedos pressed. Yeah, we took a little, um, just a, a quick little break from our Oscars coverage to give mm. you this episode, just because, you know, this is a movie we both think you should see. Yeah. So. It just came yeah. out. So. This is us giving you awareness. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome, yeah. listener. <laughs> um, and any shout outs before we sign off here? Kogonata. Um, he's doing. We don't need to tease this too hard, but he's directing four episodes of a, a little TV show, TV show called Pachinko um, that mm-hmm. comes out later in March. So uh, I don't know if you're interested in that kind of thing. Maybe uh, bookmark it in your brain. Yeah, bookmark What's that. That? Um, that should be good. I'm excited to to read and, and watch that as it comes out. Um, okay. Well, thank you very much for listening, uh, and we'll see you next time.